Welcome to Action Replay Extra Times Rugby Podcast. I'm joined here with Billy Keenan and we'll be looking at all the November internationals from last weekend as well as previewing this weekend's internationals with Ireland hosting Australia at the Aviva Stadium in Dublin. Billy, when we look back at the Ireland-New Zealand game, really pulsating contest, really just end-to-end stuff, really physical test match rugby, a real hallmark of test match rugby and exactly what we'd expect from two teams like Ireland-New Zealand given the the war they had in uh, in in Chicago two weeks ago really lived up to the hype. Number of star performance on both teams. Sean O'Brien played exceptionally well. Brody Retallick for New Zealand. Who stood out for you on on Saturday? Well, I'm glad you used the word test match straight away because a lot of a lot of people who don't watch rugby don't really understand why they're called test matches. Uh-huh. I think Brent Pope might have made the point that that was a classic test match, an arm wrestle, a battle. In terms of standout performers. I think you just have to look at the players who returned. Whitelock, Retallick, weren't they just sensational for New Zealand? Just mm. looking at the difference between the Ireland's mall effectiveness, just completely uh, stunted at the weekend in Lansdowne Road. And then also just Sean O'Brien. I mm. particularly was impressed with CJ Sta- uh, Josh van der Fleer and Guy and Ringrose because of uh, their inclusion from the bench. You know, early on, I think that they, they really settled into the game really well. And then big Dev Toner. Uh, our 80 minute man uh, he's, he's up there with Jamie Heesop now the amount of times he's playing 80 minutes and his involvement uh, 40, 40, 47 rook involvements a new all time record I think mm. in the amount that he did on the field so I think we would have been a, a, the scoreline would have been a lot sore if Devon Toner wasn't on that field just for his sheer amount of work rate mm. Keith Wood was saying last uh, last night and off the ball he said he, he can't remember seeing probably a bit better game by Jamie Heaslip in some time. He was absolutely phenomenal on the weekend. He was great in Chicago, obviously set up the Robbie Henshaw try that ended up sealing the game for Allen. But he was once again fantastic and he, he got an absolutely beautiful offload away to Sean O'Brien that really should have been a try if it just wasn't for... I know, I know Bowen Barrett was World Player of the Year. But like on that highlight reel that he probably submitted to the World Rugby or, or yeah. what role were we watching? I can't imagine there was an awful lot of, you know, great tackles. I can imagine a lot of it to do was his line breaks, the speed, the tries he finished off, his general playmaking ability, but what a tackle that was. He oh. it was such it was so pivotal because Ireland had very few and far between in terms of real legitimate try scoring chances. That was certainly one of them and it has to feel like a blown opportunity for Ireland that particular try. Huge opportunity for Ireland. Yeah. Um, Stander went over the, was held up over the line a few phases after that as well and I thought that was a huge momentum and I think the difference between the two sides and the two games in Chicago and Lansdowne Road was this time Ireland went for the post and not the corner mm-hmm. huge swing of momentum momentum is you know it's corny talking about in rugby but it's, it is key and vital and I think a lot of gas was let out of the supporters and even 
it, it just the momentum of that Irish squad when they went for goals. I don't understand why they went for goal, but what an absolute tackle by um, Bowden Barrett. But even by Sean O'Brien, working off of Jamie Heesop, who you mentioned earlier, great linking between the two of those. Mm. I think Jamie Heesop has been completely reinvigorated, reinvented as a player. He's physical. He's carrying his momentum into tackles. He's not slowing down. He's 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 becoming an enforcer again. And Sean O'Brien working off him on that run great hands to actually catch it and I think if any other team in the world wouldn't have stopped Sean O'Brien there other than the All Blacks because like you said Bowden Barrett would be up for that award and winner of the award for his, his tries his incredible pace mm. I'd love to see a faster player than Bowden Barrett what his stats are in terms of uh, metres made and like the distances he's covering in the time but just what a tackle to be to be putting as a fly half on Sean O'Brien. Yeah, <laughs> it's a. I'd say that's something that he's puffing his chest out about, like, you know, in camp. Yeah, but so when we look down the other end, uh, especially you, we mentioned we just talked about uh, Bowden Barrett's try saving tackle at one end. He, he, he the try that he scored down the other end, a lot of controversy over. John Mason seemed to really jump the gun. They went up to the TMO. The section demanded to go to the TMO. Mason awards it on the first look. The reverse angle, though, however. The first angle not very conclusive. The second angle, there definitely wasn't any conclusive evidence. That was that was a try. How pivotal was that a moment? And do you think that you know if that if if that's not a try, does that change the game? Um, I w- in terms of the game swinging, I would very much look at the Fekatoa try. Okay. Um, but moving on to going back to Barrett, uh, yes, very up in the air. But if he didn't dot it down as a you know. Uh, trying to be unbiased here Sexton tackled him around the shoulders mm-hmm. it was a high tackle mm-hmm. so it would have been a penalty try and I think when people are poking holes in that all back performance in terms of high aggression in terms of high tackles that that's the wrong one to be looking at from an Irish perspective because mm-hmm. Sexton did tackle him around the uh, around the shoulders and the game was still very much up in the air it was 14-6 and then straight away in that second half it went to 14-9 yeah. so I don't think that was the deciding one Ireland were very much still in the game the the referee questioned uh, the TMO multiple times about that try, which is really interesting. But at the under, other end of the field, Fekato, who was still on the field after should have been receiving a red card, deciding commissioner has just judged, scored a try that the referee didn't even look at the TMO. Yeah, one or two offloads, particularly the last one from Piranara onto Fekato, very much up in the air. And I think that was the one out of anything that should have been looked at, and the controversy with the the TMO the game was st- still very much a winnable game for Ireland after that Bowden Barr try and I think uh, the Irish are getting a lot of a lot of hassle for poking holes and whinging according to some New Zealand uh, commentators and media people of course I think that it should have been a penalty try otherwise Yeah. but if we're going to make a case for New Zealand and, and the approach that they took that's the wrong one and it should be looking at the other end of the field at the Fekatoa try who like I said again by the signing commissioner should have been given a red card Yes. He's now been banned for this upcoming game against France. Yes, yeah. No, it was one of those situations where it was in between a yellow and a red, minimum yellow, probably maximum red. And that's what Ronald Nugent called it at the time. He said minimum yellow, possibly a red. I would have thought, and this is the thing with World Rugby, I don't think there's a clear definition on these type of tackles. Because when I was looking through the memorandum and I was looking through the Pacific Law regarding dangerous play, the ref... And the TMO have the ability to basically punish a player anywhere from a penalty to a red card, deeming on the severity of the tackle. But when Keith Earls got a red card, 
against Glasgow a couple yeah. of weeks ago. It was it was a tip tackle. It was lifting above the horizontal. Now I didn't really think. I thought there's more aggression in Fekitoa's tackle than there was in Keith Earls. Yeah. Yes, Keith Earls lifted him, and yes, he placed him. But I don't think there was. He didn't slam him on the ground. He didn't drive his skull through the turf, yeah. for lack of a better word. He picked him up, maybe tipped him, and then dropped him. And it was. I didn't think it was a huge amount of malice in it. I didn't think there was a huge amount of aggression in it. He got a red card for that. Was straight off. Fekitoa's was. I don't think. Now Jerry Thornley made this point last night and. On off the ball, and I don't really 100% agree with it. I don't think he was going specifically to take Simon Zebo out, like specifically to come across, big swinging arm across the jaw and try and break Zebo's jaw, more or less. Yeah. I thought he was going for a tackle. He, I thought he was going for to bring his right arm over and try and wrap, but he just got it. He was going too fast, got it completely wrong, and ended up more or less a swinging arm right to the side of the face. So I don't think there was intent there to maliciously take out Simon Zebo, but I thought he was reckless enough in how he tackled him um, that it really wasn't a tackle. It was a swinging arm to the side of the jaw, and on the recklessness, I think it probably should be in a red card. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And even once he'd committed to it, he in no way made any attempt to let go of the neck or the shoulder. No. A few minutes later... Owen Franks actually tackled Rob Carney, I think it was, a little later. He started the shoulders, but as soon as he hit the shoulders, he had let go and um, didn't commit to that tackle around the head or the neck. Mm-hmm. Fekitoa went clean through Simon Zebo. Yeah. There was no attempt to let go of the shoulders or neck. No. And I think you talked about the referee. And I know you, 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 would, you probably agree with the signing commissioner's uh, interpretation of the Sam Kane henshaw uh-huh. tackle, but... It set a standard and a tone for the rest of the match. And um, Alan Quinlan actually beat me to the punch in, in putting a piece out. The referee has a duty of care to the players that we as fans and maybe as coaches don't even don't even think about. He's there to award penalties and run the game. But he's yeah. also there to protect players. Yeah. Jerry Thorny made the point that if it was a penalty and referees are getting uh, you know very complacent in the fact that they look at something on the big screen and they feel like they have to give a penalty. Mm-hmm. Jakob Paper had absolutely no problem with that Sam Kane tackle. Yeah. And because he went to the team out, he gave a penalty, even to just get the match back going. Jerry Thorny made the point that if it's a penalty, it was illegal. If it was illegal, why wasn't it a yellow card? Mm-hmm. I would be very much in that camp as well. I think it's very much up to interpretation. And I think that by Jakob Paper doing that, he set the tone for the rest of the game that this carry-on was okay. Yes. And I think that he... I think he very much failed in terms but of protecting the players. There's a flip side to that as well because I understand what Jerry's talking about. If it's a penalty for, and it's assuming it's a dangerous tackle, and Henshaw's knocked out, and it's and you're judging it to be shoulder to the side of the head, um, it should be a yellow card. It should be it should be potentially a red card depending on this on the severity and, and how that thing how how Piper's going to judge it and Mason's going to judge it. But on the flip side, if it's not a penalty and you're going with the head clash angle. Donald Lenahan made the point on commentary, and it's a valid point. If you're going to say it's a head clash, why is it even a penalty? Though? Exactly. You know what I mean? If it was a head clash, you wouldn't give it as a it's penalty. A scrum. We restart. Yeah. We give possession yeah. back to Ireland, who had who exactly. was in possession. So to call it a penalty, because it's either because it was either, and if you freeze frame and you can change the angles, you can say there's one angle that looks like a head clash, and there's another angle like the front on angle looks like it's a definite shoulder right to the side of like the jaw. Um, now, when you look at it, and because especially when you play it in in fast time, you look at the reverse angle and in freeze frame, you can make an argument that it was a head clash there. 
I don't know. I'm probably going to go on the head crash one, but I could see it. It's such one of those weird ones, and he was coming across. Um, initially, when I thought, I thought he was falling into it, but then when I looked at it, he didn't. He just spun out of a tackle and got, you know. But even Piper's, I, I actually urge anybody listening to go back and review the match. Uh-huh. Piper strolled up to Kieran Reid, and I'm going to put words in his mouth, but his body language, his tone, yeah. he turned to Kieran Reid and went, yeah, it's just a penalty. Yeah. He's looking at there's nothing there. Let's just get the game back going. Yeah. That while well, that's well, like patting Kieran Reed on the head. I'm sorry. And I felt very strongly about this. Well Henshaw's think, laid out on the ground, like literally on all fours. On I was sitting in that stadium, lucky enough to be there at the night. Incredible atmosphere. That if that is within the laws of the game, are the laws of the game right? And I think looking back, Steve Hansen put it right. I don't know if I agree with them all. It's a moving game. He spun out of the tackle. Mm-hmm. There is intent. Yes, things can go wrong, and people get head clashes. Yep. And you can't say that argument. So I would, I wouldn't agree with my first point of it. But I just, how many times have there been a penalty in the twenty-two, and the ref goes, "It's your last chance before it's yellow." Yeah. No indication. Four high tackles uh, over the course of the game, and that's only going up to sixty-five minutes. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to review the rest of it. One of them was Fekitoa. One of them was the one that injured. Uh, Robbie Henshaw. Yeah. No indication or consistency in the ruling that this needs to stop. Yeah. Cynical, malicious penalties, not, you know, not rolling away or they weren't they were doing that as well. But things that actually hurt players, awarding penalties, these are the these are the penalties that referees are awarding to protect players. And yet no cards were shown consistently. And I I really do think that Yako Paper had a very poor game in terms of player safety. Well, I mean, not just player safety. I mean, yeah, I think we've very much covered that point. But also, Justin, you mentioned hurting players, hurting teams. And, and really, particularly, I don't want to make such like Alan to be like a sympathy case for this because Piper definitely got some decisions wrong on the New Zealand side. Most notably, Aaron Smith's yellow card to me was very, very iffy. Um, I thought he came through the rook. I thought he came through the gate. I thought the ball was there and he kicked the ball. And I don't think, I can't understand why that was a yellow card. But on the Ireland side, on Barrett's try, which never mind the grounding in the first place, the scrum was already not angled. It was not at a, a angled at a, you know, I suppose 180 degrees. It was not straight down the middle or 90 degrees, depending on the angle. It was it was tilted from the very start. So the, the, the ball was already, before the scrum had even been set, New Zealand's front row was already angling towards the Irish posts, which meant when the ball came out of the back of Kieran Reid, he was already on a more favourable side to get a nice pass out to Barrett. Now, I'm not saying that that's what led to the try, because Barrett dummied out Jared Payne, and he strolled through um, past the line, and then he tangled up with Sexton, ultimately. But the, the scrum itself wasn't even set properly, so I was thinking, why was that even allowed to get past the scrum? Like, the scrum was not set on a straight... You know, the front row was like, New Zealand were already angling towards Ireland's post. So I think that shouldn't have... And then, then the other end, you can make a great case for, for a penalty try on an Irish scrum in the first half that was advancing pretty much right near the posts, going uh, five metres out, and Liam Squire and Kieran Reid ended up collapsing over the ball. Yeah. And it was like, why isn't that Cynical. a penalty try? I mean, it's it's Ireland of a scrum that's going forward. It already has... The last two scrums had already been dominant Irish scrums. Um, I think Ireland got a penalty on one of them. And so why, I mean, why wasn't that a penalty try? So never mind player safety, between the Aaron Smith yellow card, the... The actual running of the game bit. The running of yeah, the game bit, yeah. just the general management of the game. So, and I know referees get a hard time, and 
a lot of the time I think it's a bit too much um, yeah. especially in, in, in test match rugby it's always like you know no matter what decision they make they're going to annoy someone check your local Facebook comments on whatever rugby related post there's going to be something there regarding a referee especially on any game that's there um, such as people's varying opinions on rugby but and while I don't think referees should get slaughtered too much I do think that Mason and Piper should come under healthy criticism for that after all they're both professional referees that's it they have their own careers and criticism is, is absolutely vital in terms of improving and seeing where they go next I know Craig Joubert was held a little bit back after his performances uh, against Scotland and Australia in the World Cup but Jack we could we could sit here and talk about referees all day but Ireland have another game this mm-hmm. weekend against Australia Australia were in the Stade de France against France uh, last weekend shocker and they came away oh, they came away with a victory um, 23-25 to Australia current Rani uh, back in the squad after Samu Karevi kind of knocked him out yep. um, it was a weekend South African Australian team Yep. by weekend I mean they included players like Kane Douglas Scott Fardy Sean McMahon uh, Kyle Goodwin who's been in incredible form for the force but, sure. uh, names like Israel Folau Lopetti Tamani and even Michael Hooper kind of out of that squad um, are there any particular things about that game that you're looking at in terms of Ireland playing Australia next week? Um, I think Australia just just once again just bringing it out late. I mean, I know they started off decimated Wales at the Principality. I mean, that's another topic from the other day. Wales have been. I mean, I was reading something last night. Wales are putting a spin on it that they're going for three straight wins in a row and this will be their equaling their best ever autumn series but they've been really sketchy um, squeezing by Argentina Japan. yeah squeezing by Japan with a last minute Sam Davies drop goal but I don't want to detract too far away from that Australia braving it out against Scotland pulling away late again for the second time um, within the last year I suppose and yeah same again with France just hanging in there until the very end and I think one of the things that I think this Australian team has come under criticism before is that they play with they play with great backs. They have very good hands, very high skill level. And for those that were watching the Wales game against a couple of years, a couple of weeks ago, you could see that was on full display. But one of their, I suppose, knocks on this team is that you can get at them mentally. Um, mentally, they might not be the strongest team. They're they're a team that can be rattled. They're a team that can be shaken. And we've seen that a, a number of times over the last couple of years against Ireland. A handful of times we've seen it. Um, so I thought I think that was a big win for them to follow up their close win against Scotland with another edging out another one against France and and David Pocock again was just he's sensational he really is spectacular. I know you've been a fan of Reese Hodges' performances in the Rugby Championship. Yeah, he's been pretty good for the Melbourne Rebels and has definitely followed it through. I think uh, for Australia, he's back in the squad. Israel Folau is back, and the Australian back row was performed so well in the World Cup. Sure. Is now we formed. Pocock's at eight, Hooper's at seven, and Dean won. Another line-out option yep. is uh, at number six. They've got two incredibly big locks in Rory Arnold, who I think he's close in on Devon Toner in terms of size. Yeah, six foot ten, big heavy guy. He looks a little gangly, but he gets up in that air pretty well. Rob Simmons, he came that match against uh, the match before New Zealand when Ireland played New Zealand. I mean, he ran that game. I thought this guy's going to kick on to be. Uh, world-class second row and Dean Mum as well so there's do you think they're definitely maybe targeting that Irish line-out with three big line-out forwards yeah I can imagine um, and then Fadi's also an underrated jumper yeah. at six as well I and mean, it's, it's probably one of the more underrated parts of his game but yeah I mean Mum obviously predominantly for most of his career has been a second row so having him there at six really frees up another option there as you mentioned Arnold and Simmons Arnold is 
very big and not just like tall like he is broad as he is tall as well he's a huge man and, and a real uh he's, he's a difference maker out there for them he's been he's really improved since making his um i think he only made his debut over the summer so he's really yeah yeah in the england series and he's he's gotten better with seeing every game so he's definitely one to watch out for the future there but yeah bringing on a lot of young guys um alan ella has continued to get in the game time side really had a uh, started in the start of france yeah i mean could you imagine ireland starting a young hooker like that in yeah. the start of France it'd be nonsensical we couldn't even imagine it but Michael Cechi is blooding these young players yeah yeah um, guys like Marika Corey Beatty bringing in he's and Reese Hodge again like another guy who's who's a fullback predominantly mostly for the Melbourne Rebels in the yeah. Super Rugby Championship Cechi's gone we're going to have you at 12 and he's been brilliant since he's been playing at 12 22 years of age yeah I know he didn't play in the weekend but he should be uh, is he playing at Australian end of the team there yeah, Reece Hodge is at number 12. He's at number 12 again, yeah. I think, yeah. I think he's only been playing professional rugby for a year or two. Yeah. He's starting for the Wallabies. And he's also another thing to con- uh, contest with, and not every team has this. South Africa, we've always seen, have had this option. But in a game like this, traditionally a lot of these Ireland games and Australian games are very, very tight games. They're separated by only a couple of points. Reese Hodge has an absolutely howitzer of a right foot. He yeah. can really hit them from about 55, near on 60. I think he tried one in Wellington against the All Blacks mm-hmm. in the Rugby Championship. So that's another option. And the other one as well is a guy who's continually impressing me. Had a sh- strong World Cup last year, and I think he's having a great autumn series, is Bernard Foley. Okay, I think yeah. he's well and truly faced out Quay Cooper of this team. Um, and he, he deserves to be the first choice 10. And he's, um, he's someone that I think Ireland are really going to have to do their homework on because he attacks the ball in with, with two hands and I know that's you know it seems pretty rudimentary for because you think every fly half in, in, in rugby in international rugby would attack the ball in two hands but he does it in such a way where he's got great acceleration and he really creates a lot of confusion with I suppose the way he moves the ball in his hands and the way he I suppose faints his shoulders you never really know if he's going to go on the outside if he's going to plant his foot and pop someone on the inside he really creates a lot of problems in that 10-12 area for opposition teams so very interested to see how they use him and I think one guy who I think we can target I think New Zealand had great success he's a monster but he is definitely does have his weaknesses particularly in positional play is Henry Spate I think he is someone that we can get on the weekend yeah I think after looking at Ireland's performance against uh, New Zealand and Chicago these big guys Julian Sfair Waisaki Naholo uh, definitely attacking those players and Keith Earls has been brought into the Irish team for yep. Simon Zebo. Um, he's been Simon Zebo has actually moved to the bench in place of Earls okay after uh, oh we completely even missed him. Gary Ringrose has been brought in the number 12 jersey. Yeah. So that's bringing uh, just a little bit of a shuffle around from the bench and, and just in the extended squad. So Reese Hodge, Gary Ringrose, it's going to see really interesting to see how he gets on. But then having those kickers like that and even Rob Carney and, and Andrew Trimble putting pressure on the likes of Henry Spate, uh, very interesting to see. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting battle with CJ Stander coming back in. Jamie Heaslip's on form, and Ian Henderson is getting a chance to impress. At four, five, six? Four, at four. Ian Brilliant. Henderson's at four, and CJ Stander is at number six. That's, 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 that's pretty big, because Ian Henderson, for most of the season, has been you know out injured. He's been... Hasn't probably looked as sharp as with Ulster. Um, I know he did come on last week against, so against got, New Zealand. 20, 25 minutes... First time in about a month he's played. Yeah, it was solid. Now, it wasn't peak Ian Henderson that we've seen against South Africa. You know, the guy got one-on-one strips by himself. was really probably 
put himself in a, in a framework to be a future Irish captain with his performances in South Africa over the summer. But we haven't really seen that player since. So it's going to be big for him because he is the guy that we're looking at as the long-term future of the Irish second row. Ulton Delan hovering around that scene, played very well against Canada. But I think Henderson is definitely someone that we see as a central part of this Irish team going forward. So I think it's a, it's a massive game for him. Him and Ringrose, I think they're the two biggest people that are biggest games for them out of anyone else that's playing, I think. Because Ringrose is going to get really his first start, um, or second start, sorry, against yeah. kind of the first start against a real Tier 1 nation. Yeah. Um, at 12 as well, which I'm really interested to see how he goes at 12, because as we were talking off air before, predominantly with Leinster being a 13, 14, even back to his days as an Allen 20, he's been predominantly as a, as a use as an outside rather than an inside. No, it's, it's going to be interesting to see Gary Ringrose. Didn't look out of place against the All Blacks, but definitely the you know the connections between the fly half and um, Gary Ringrose were just a little bit off. But hopefully, after a week and even that game against the All Blacks, he'll look even better. Um, Jack, just predictions for the weekend. Do you think Ireland could come away with you know with winning? Yeah, I think we absolutely can. I think it's it's more than plausible. I mean, while Australia have shown grit and I suppose toughness to get out of Scotland and France late, you know, very squeakers more or less. Um, they still are a team that's very much there for the taking. I mean, New Zealand toppled this team by 30 points on multiple occasions over the last couple of years. I mean, even in the last rugby championships, I think they, what was it, they won 42-8, I think, in one of the games. There was a huge scoreline between the yeah, two. Yeah, um, 29-9 in, in Wellington. 10. Uh, to New Zealand 29-9 yeah and then just the week before uh, in a 42-8 yeah. at home they yeah. lost to New Zealand so I think you're, you're dead right there yeah yeah and they, and they are a team they're a team that likes to play expansive they like to throw the ball around they very like I mentioned before they use their inside running very very well looking to have a, a, a increasingly strong scrum under Mario Ledesma that their scrum's no longer the laughing stock of world rugby they're a, yeah, they're a good side, especially when they play, you know, Northern Hemisphere sides, and they also have a chance to create history. They're also gunning. This is the game that they've singled out as potentially their first Grand Slam since I think nineteen eighty four, maybe. Yeah. I, so I think they're definitely targeting England next week. Yeah. But this will be the one that determines whether it comes down to the Grand Slam against England. Yeah. No. Okay, it's the one before England, but out of all the home nations, they'll be looking at Ireland as the one who's going to upset. Well, the especially given the Ireland. given what's transpired in the last couple of weeks with Ireland, um, the last three games, New Zealand twice, obviously, and Canada once. But I will be wondering, maybe obviously the phys- physical fatigue is there. Guys like CJ Stander coming off a bruising game, um, Jamie Heaslip coming off a bruising game, Sean O'Brien coming off a real bruising game. Um, how are those guys going to react? Oh, because it's it's must be. I mean, that game must have been as much mentally fatiguing as it was physically fatiguing. So it it's hard to see. Is it going to be much of an emotional drop off? Because there is this sense of you know we basically come through this more or less. If it was boxing, we came through a twelve round war. Yeah. With with the All Blacks. So how would you like to go fight again the next week? It's it's kind of like, can you get up again for the same you know for the same game? in a week's time against possibly, if it's not the best team in the world, Australia, you're probably looking at least, what, top four? I mean, Definitely. England, New Zealand, Ireland, Australia, they're, they're, you know, that's the top four in World Rugby at the minute. So it's a huge ask. But it's something that if Ireland can come out again and um, really replicate that same intensity and that same ferociousness in attack and really get that same quick ball in, in attack, I think they're... 
I, yeah, I think there, I think there's no reason why we can't win and can't win comfortably as well. I think there's no reason why we can't win by 15, 20 points. My only concern is can we mentally, physically get back up for this game after really what was two bruising affairs with the All Blacks? Jack, thanks very much. Cheers, buddy. Get him off the field! That's just typical what he is! Get him walking! They don't like it! He can run this hooker. Quick pass to Moore.